You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you're getting told a particular story, and as they're telling you the story, you realize that this story could actually get on your nerve? And so then you start to respond prematurely, and you're giving them your real response, and then they continue to tell the story, and then you realize, wait a minute, this story has actually got a good ending. But it's too late to retract your response, so you just laugh quietly and you sigh with relief. It's kind of like that moment where you're sitting in the cinemas, you're watching this incredible movie, and then in the last 10 minutes of the movie, this good guy who's meant to be the hero dies. And then the credits start rolling up, and then if you're anything like me, you'd be sitting there going, that was stink. What a stink movie, what a waste of 50 bucks, what a waste of two hours of my life sitting here watching this movie and the hero dies and then you realize actually the credits get interrupted with this final scene that shows you actually he's not dead. And so you need to come back and watch the next part of the movie and it's incredible, but, but, but uh, you realize that you only had half of the story. I remember one time coming home from school uh, and my older sister was with my baby niece at the time, they were in the lounge chilling and I went, got changed, came to the lounge, and as I was walking towards the lounge, it was dead quiet. So I thought, oh, maybe my older sister had fallen asleep. But as I get there, she's absolutely gone, nowhere to be found. My baby niece is there asleep in her little carry bag thingy. And then there's this note that looks like my sister's just torn off a piece of paper and written on it, and it says, Don, I've gone. And in that moment, I read this note, and I thought, I started to freak out. I started to stress out. I got emotional. I started crying, and I thought to myself, how on earth am I going to tell my parents that my sister's done a runner? How on earth am I going to tell her husband she's done a runner? And then I looked at my baby niece, and I thought, what about her kids? How on earth are we supposed to tell her kids that she decided one day that she was just going to up and leave and gap it and leave them? And then I'm like stressing out, and then my nephew comes in. He's like eight, nine years old at the time. He walks in, and he's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? And I look at him, and I'm like, have you seen the note that your mom left, you, left, left on this table? And he was like, yeah, she's at the shops. I, I saw red. And so she, my older sister walks in, and I'm like, what kind of a stupid note is this? Like, what, what, what kind of a weird joke is it? And she's like, yeah, I was at the shop. Nowhere on this note does it say you're at the shop. My nephew interrupted, and he's like, no, 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 yeah, I said that she was, I thought, nowhere on this note does it say your mother was at the shop, and he was like, oh yeah, because I needed somewhere to stick my bubble gum, so I just ripped the paper that was on the table, stuck my gum in it, put it in my pocket, and I chased after her as she was making her way to the dairy, and I realized in that moment, uh, I only heard half of the story, but really, deep down inside, I thought, y'all need to get your own house already, you know, <laughs> I'm done with you, <clears throat> but we do it all the time. We live in light of just half of the story, and if we're completely honest, we kind of do this in our Christian walk. We sometimes live in light of only half of the story, and I can testify to that because for the longest time, I lived my life in light of Jesus' suffering, Jesus' crucifixion, and his death. And I'm not trying to downplay the, the suffering and the death of our Lord and Savior because the cross, this emblem that was once despised and symbolic of suffering and pain and death is now an emblem of salvation. It's symbolic of the healing of my soul, my deliverance out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the cross is only half the story. 
You see, my view of the Christian life was all about enduring suffering and enduring pain and enduring loss and constantly having to sacrifice and give things up. And I would always say, if I could just hold on a little longer through this pain until Jesus comes back, then I'll be fine. I'd always say, if I could just hold on to this pain, if I could just endure through this uh, hurt and endure the sickness and endure the suffering in my life that I'm living until Jesus comes, then I'll be all good. I even started to believe and build my entire life around this false theology that said the greater the sacrifice, the greater the negotiating power. That's some dangerous stuff right there. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the suffering, the greater my loss, the greater my pain, the more of a negotiation I can bring to the table when I pray to God. Living in light of only half of the story ultimately leads to destruction. It's like pouring out all the puzzle pieces onto the table and working so tirelessly to put it together only to find that half the puzzle is missing. It's like getting to the end of a street only to find that the road is closed off because it's still in construction and not yet complete. And with that incompleteness comes frustration, despair, anger, hurt, pain, suffering, strife, a life that is without hope. The good news is you weren't created to live a life with just half of the story in mind. And so tonight I wanna speak on the topic beyond the cross. Beyond the cross, beyond the cross, there is a burial. Beyond the cross, there is a resurrection. Beyond the cross, there is an ascension. And all of these things have significance in the life of every single person who calls themselves a believer. I want you to consider the whole story. Number one, Jesus suffered. John 19 verse one to five says this, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, hail king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them, behold the man. Jesus suffered. The Bible says they scourged him. Another translation says they had him whipped. They had him flogged. And this was a brutal means of punishment. Scourging was an incredibly painful means of torture. And many scholars of the Bible say that the whip would have had multiple leather cords. These whips would have had bits of sheep bone and metal pieces uh, embedded throughout the cords. This instrument was designed to inflict the maximum pain and blood loss. Jesus scourged every lash, ripping out pieces of his body, exposing flesh and, blood and bones. Jesus scourged, enduring this horrific pain as a crowd of onlookers just watched. The Bible says that they placed a crown of thorns on his head. They struck him with their hands, our Savior. All of that blood loss would have made him weak. He would have been feeling excruciating pain and he would have been unrecognizable. Further down in verse 17, it says, and he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Our suffering savior, bloodied, bruised, broken body, is now bearing his cross. He is carrying his cross to the place where they crucify him. Jesus suffered. We share in his suffering. That means that in our identifying with Christ, we will come under a measure of suffering like Paul in Colossians 1.24 because we live in a world that is hostile to our allegiance to Jesus. But that's not all. 
You need to consider the whole story. Number two, Jesus died. John 19, 30 says, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Our Savior hanging on the cross, I can imagine that the loss of blood, his nervous tension, and his exposure to the weather would have generated a raging thirst. The Bible says they give him wine vinegar, and then he received it. He said, it is finished. And there he was, the Savior who discharged perfectly the Father's purpose, the Savior who has triumphantly left the scene of his human struggle, our Savior hanging on a cross, he bowed his head and died. We share in his death. The Bible says that we're united with Christ in his death. When Christ died, sin's penalty was paid. That means in our identifying with Christ, we died to ourselves. But that's not all. I want you to consider the whole story. Number three, Jesus was buried. John 19, 41 to 42. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had to secretly ask for permission to take Jesus' body down to be buried. They wrapped his body in strips of linen with spices as was the custom of the day. Some scholars of the Bible say that the allusion to the Jewish day of preparation probably meant that they had to work quickly and fast to bury Jesus. And so our Savior who suffered, who died, is now buried in the tomb. We share in his burial. The Bible says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. When Paul talks about baptism, he isn't just talking about a mere ceremony or a sacrament, but he's talking about a spiritual reality that to be baptized, to go through the waters of baptism is a picture of my old self being buried. Baptism expresses with finality the end of my old nature. And so we don't just share in Christ's suffering and in his death, we share also in his burial. But that's not all. I want you to consider the whole story. Because number four, Jesus rose. John 20 verse one says, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mark's account says that the woman, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary mother of James and Salome, they brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. They came walking over talking about who's gonna roll the stone away when we get to the tomb. Matthew's account says there was a violent earthquake. The angel of the Lord had come down, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Luke's account says, the women arrived and they could not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they wondered about this, suddenly two men appeared in clothes that gleamed like lightning. They said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Our Savior who suffered, our Savior who died, our Savior who was buried is now our Savior who was risen. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, we don't just share in his suffering. We don't just share in his death. We don't just share in his burial. We also share in his resurrection. And if you've only been living in light of half of the story, I'm here to remind you tonight that when Jesus went to the cross, he went as me. He suffered as me. He was crucified as me. He was buried as me, and he got up as me. Turn to the person next to you and say, he got up. He got up. Look them in the eye and say, he got up. Say it like you mean it, amen. 
It's no wonder Paul makes this connection in Ephesians when he says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. When he died, I died with him. But when he got up, come on somebody, I got up with him. Glory to God. In other words, death has no more power over me. Sin has no more power over me. The grave has no more power over me. Because when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I said to sin and death and the grave, I don't owe you no more. Jesus paid it all. That was your cue right there to give him some praise tonight. Somebody say amen. The Bible says, even when you were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together. You know, poet George Herbert said it beautifully when he said, who would have thought that my shriveled heart could have recovered such greenness? It was gone quite underground. Church, you need to know tonight that he who dwelt underground on that cold Sabbath has come forth once again. And with him, God's powerful love revealed in all of its glory, bringing our hearts out of its own winter and into the fresh spring of Easter. You see, whilst I thank God for the cross, whilst I cherish the old rugged cross, whilst I make my boast only in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, the cross is not where the story ends. He didn't just suffer, died, be buried, and then the credits rolled up. No, 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 that's only half of the story. Jesus suffered, Jesus was crucified, Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb, and Jesus rose. We're not only made alive together with Christ, we are also raised up together with Christ. Jesus rose, and so we share in his suffering. But that's not all. I want you to consider the whole story, because number five, Jesus ascended. Luke 24, verse 50 to 53, when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The whole story is that Jesus suffered, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. Paul says, we've been made alive together with Christ. We've been raised up together with Christ, and here it is, we've been seated together in the heavenly places in Christ. That means that God, who has brought us into a relationship with Him through Jesus, full of grace, full of mercy, has made a way whereby people like me and people like you can live in light of the full story. And so as we come into relationship with Jesus, we not only experience the forgiveness of our sins, we not only get to experience life after death, but we also, in the present time, that means right here and now, we get to live life seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Part of the answer to this is found in the context of Ephesians 1, verse 20 to 23. Here's what it says. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, in these verses, Paul explains that Jesus Christ has been exalted to a position of supremacy over all powers. Jesus is far above all principalities. He's far above all powers. He's far above all might. He's far above all dominion. He's far above every name that is named. And the good news for you and me is that it means that because of our union with Christ, we too share in this power and his authority over principalities, over powers, over authorities, and any spiritual power that you can think of. This is why when some people pray, they pray like they're warring against the devil. They're praying like they're in the middle of a fight with the enemy, and so they're tearing things down with their prayers. They're breaking things. They're binding things up. They're exposing things. They're severing things. They're breaking generational curses. And to the simple mind, this might seem like a whole bunch of gibberish, but when you know that you know that you don't just share in his suffering and in his death and in his burial, but when you know that you share in his resurrection and his ascension too, you can't help but be seated in heavenly places. You you can't help but step into your identity as a co-heir with Christ. You can't help but step into the same power, the same authority, and the same position that you are in, in Christ Jesus. I feel a shift in the atmosphere tonight. Some of you didn't get it before, but you got it tonight. You thought that you couldn't break free from the depression. You thought you couldn't break free from suicidal thoughts and pornography and manipulation and the witchcraft that seems to masquerade itself in cultural traditions and rituals. I came to let you know tonight that no power of darkness can overcome you because when you seat yourself in heavenly places, you're reminding that thing who the real boss is. You're reminding that thing that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You're reminding that thing that God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're reminding that thing that the God that we serve will crush Satan under our feet. You're reminding that thing that we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I haven't been to heaven yet but I'm living in heavenly places. I don't know about you. I'm thinking in heavenly places. I'm walking in heavenly places. If y'all need to find me, don't look for me over in Otara. Don't look for me in Manurewa. My new address is seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You won't find me bound in the same old stuff no more. You won't find me angry at the things that used to annoy me. You won't find me getting on it because I need another high. You won't find me giving myself away because I need to be loved. You won't find me engaging in the things that I used to do because I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing, it's not by my power, it's not by my own strength, it's not by my own doing, but it's in Christ Jesus. My dependence is in Christ Jesus. My victory comes in Christ Jesus. My ability to overcome sin is in Christ Jesus. Jesus ascended, and so we share in his ascension in that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to consider the whole story. If I could ask the keys to join me. You see, as I come to a close tonight, what I want you to realize is that to live your life in light of only half the story or a little bit of the story is to live a life that's less than God, what God has for you. And the truth is, it can be so easy to stop at Jesus' suffering. It can be so easy to stop at his death. It can be so easy to stop at his burial like I did because it's familiar. It's tangible to us. 
We're not strangers to suffering. We're not strangers to loss. We're not strangers to pain. We're not strangers to hurt. We're not strangers to burial. And so it can be easy for us to stay here and sit here and live our lives here because we've all got a point of reference for suffering and for death and for burial. But the moment you mention resurrection and ascension, we become stunned and unsure of what we're supposed to do. You see, sometimes there are things that we want to witness we want to witness to that are totally out of sort. You see, we've got no point of reference for resurrection. We've got no paradigm for resurrection. We've got no template for resurrection. Perhaps this is how the disciples would have felt when they received the report from two of the disciples who had seen Jesus after he rose. The Bible says they were all locked in a room for fear of the Jews. And I can just imagine the disciples not knowing what to do. They had no point of reference for resurrection. They would have been wrestling in their minds, trying to figure out what had just taken place. The air would have been charged with silence. They would have tried to sort through their repertoire of emotions. No feeling would have been adequate, whether a moan or a groan or a sigh, everything would have felt short of saying, what on earth is going on? And the Bible says, that Jesus appears to them after he was raised from the dead, and it's fascinating what he does. You would have thought that Jesus appeared to them and said, hey guys, I'm actually alive. But now he doesn't. Instead, in Mark's account, he says that Jesus rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen Jesus after he rose. That disciples' lack of faith has caused them to become stuck at where Jesus used to be. He was no longer dead. He was no longer in the grave. He was risen. Let me ask you tonight, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you have faith to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe in the resurrection? Because to believe in the resurrection is to live like you've been resurrected. To believe in the resurrection is to live like you're seated in heavenly places. Are you living like you've been resurrected or are you like the disciples, still stuck where he used to be? Or maybe you're like Thomas and you're saying, I'm gonna need a little bit more proof. I'm gonna need a little bit more evidence about this whole Jesus thing to prove to me that he is still alive. You need to know tonight that you don't need no point of reference for the resurrection. You don't need no paradigm. You don't need no template for the resurrection. Faith becomes your point of reference. Faith becomes your paradigm. Faith becomes your template for resurrection because faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the firm confidence and expectation that God has, He will, and is going to perform every single thing that He said in His Word. A scholar of the word puts it like this, faith demonstrates to the eye of the mind the reality of the things that cannot be discerned with the eye of the body. In other words, faith is to the soul what all of the senses are to the body. The Bible says that one of the disciples, Thomas, wasn't in the room when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. And so the disciples start telling Thomas, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas says, I don't believe it until I put my finger on his nail-pierced hands, until I put my hand on his side that was pierced, I don't believe it. And a week later, Jesus appeared to his disciples again, and he said, actually, Thomas, give me your hand. Put your hand right on the nail-pierced marks here. Put your hand on my side and feel the place where it was pierced. And Thomas responded, and he said, 
my Lord and my God. Jesus said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Maybe you're here and you're like, yes, I believe in the resurrection, but what do I do when my whole life is full of chaos? I'm okay for a couple of months, but then I fall back into the same habits again. What if my life is nothing but a mess right now? I've been praying and praying and praying. God, please take this thing away. If that's you, you need to change your prayer from, Lord, make this go away, to, Lord, help me remember who I am in you. Lord, help me to remember I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and because of that, you will work through me by your power to overcome this. You need to know tonight that heaven spared no expense in the resurrection of Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead that was there in the beginning when they said, let us make man in our own image, is the same Godhead and the fullness that was committed to the raising of Jesus from the dead. And the same fullness has the power to get you up out of whatever and wherever you find yourself locked up and stuck in. So to every single person who's been walking the floor, pacing around, trying to respond to every little problem in your life, the Lord got me here tonight to say to you, be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When all hell is breaking loose in your life and the enemy is threatening to destroy you, be seated. When the enemy comes in like a flood, be seated. When trouble seems to be knocking at your door, be seated. When pain is running amok in your body and you're trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, don't do a thing. Be seated. Because when you sit down, God stands up. When you sit down, God takes over. When you sit down, God gets to work. You ought to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It's your time to be seated. It's your time to rest in what God has spoken over your life. It's your time to let God fight your battles. It's your time to rest in the promises of God over your life. If God said it, that settles it. If God said it, it's gonna come to pass. If God said it, it's gonna happen. And if you have faith to believe it in this place, why don't you give God some praise tonight? Thank you, Lord. You see, Jesus didn't just rise up to continue his old life where death was a threat. He rose up to the next dimension where death was no more. That means I'm no longer living my life in the grave dimension. I'm living my life in the resurrection dimension. I'm living my life seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I want you to consider the whole story. Jesus suffered. Jesus died. Jesus was buried, Jesus rose, and Jesus ascended. These aren't just events that produce benefits for believers. They're events in which every single believer is included. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 7 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, maybe you're here tonight, and maybe this is the first time that you've heard the gospel story your response this evening, can I encourage you, needs to be simply, I believe. 
And so if you're here tonight and you're saying, yes, that's me, count me in. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he rose again. I want you to repeat the simple prayer after me. And I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is only but an expression of you putting your faith and your hope in Jesus. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer tonight, we're so proud of you. Congratulations and welcome home. Let's put our hands together for everyone that's made that decision tonight. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.